following is a recording of a sermon given at All Saints Lutheran Church in Ottawa, Canada. For additional messages and more information, visit allsaintslutheran.ca. Let's hear God's holy and inerrant word, as it is written in Matthew 16, verses 13 to 28. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom for heaven, of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Here ends the Gospel reading. Continue our series that I've entitled Just Like Us. We've been looking at several Bible characters over the past few weeks uh, to see that they are just like us, so we could be just like them. And when Robin was giving the kids' message a few minutes ago, I thought, oh no, she's stealing some of my thunder, because in a couple of weeks on the Easter weekend, I'm going to do a two-parter on Good Friday. I'm going to be speaking about Jesus just like us, and then on Easter Sunday, my plan is for Jesus just like him. And I really do believe, as I've been sharing about all these other characters, that unless we understand how much they are just like us, we're never going to become just like them. And this applies very much so to Jesus. And, And as I was sitting there and thinking, oh, my wife is sharing some of the things that I might want to share in a couple of weeks, I thought, no, I think we need to hear this over and over again because it is very, very difficult for, um, for believers 
to comprehend how much Jesus actually became like us. Because we tend to think of him as a superhero. We tend to think of him as uh, not being vulnerable to the things that uh, the rest of us are. And we might be able to say it, answer the question correctly about him being 100% man, 100% God, that sort of thing. But we have a really, really hard time with understanding how much, just like us, he, he became. And so stay tuned. I'll be sharing that, God willing, in a couple of weeks. But this morning, we're looking at Peter. And, and, and so Peter is another one who in so many ways, he's, he's like us. But as I've said with some of the other characters, or all the other characters, of course, in many ways, each one of these are not like all of us because we all have different kinds of personalities. And I, I mentioned last week when we looked at Elijah that I believed that for some of us, Elijah, when we realize how, how down he got to the point of wanting to die, how depressed and burnt out he was, some of us would relate to that more than others would. In fact, some people have a really hard time relating to people that might be prone to depression. And my word to those people is we need to learn how to relate to those people uh, uh, more because they are just like us. We're all frail human beings and we all have strengths. We all have weaknesses. And God understands that. And we need to not be ashamed of our weaknesses and not be ashamed of the weaknesses of people who are close to us. Because often it's the shame that gets in the way of finding the help that we need so that we can be the people that God really wants us to be. And one of the things about Peter that is not like many of us is he was one of these people that didn't really, he didn't seem to have a shame problem because he was one of these people that was, here he is, just he says what he thinks, he, 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 um, quickly does things. It seems he's maybe not necessarily thinking before he he does stuff. And again, some of us are the more hesitant type of people. We're the more cautious type of people. We are the last one to speak up if ever we speak up. Others of us are the first ones to speak up. We're the first ones to to kind of jump at opportunities. And these are some of the ways that we're different from one another. And again, we need to understand that we're all different, but where what we do share is this common humanity, that the kind of human stuff that we're all made of. So I think there are things for us to learn from Peter. And the thing that I've been trying to break, the false understanding that we have is when we look at, at our Bible heroes, we tend to see them as so other than ourselves. We, we want to applaud them and appreciate them from afar, and we have trouble really connecting with them and, and what they have to teach us. And so, besides Jesus, uh, Peter and Paul are the two most, what I want to call, biographical characters in the New Testament. We don't know a lot about many of the other personalities. Uh, Peter and Paul, we know more than, than most. His actual name, if you were introduced to him on the street, would be Shimon ben Yohanan. Shimon ben Yohanan, which we would translate as Simon, son of John. Sometimes you see it Simeon, 
probably based on the Greek derivative, but it's Simon is far more is is the better way to translate his name into English. In Hebrew, as I said, it's Shimon. You might be aware, and it was read, if you're paying attention, you should be aware that Jesus calls him uh, Simon, son of Jonah. That would be Shimon ben or bar Yonah. My father's name was Yonah, and it's Jonah in English. And there's some question as to why he did that. It's it's clear that he, his father was Yohanan, John. And there could be a reference here to the prophet Jonah, but I'm not going to get into that for you people that like to dig into the Bible, you could look that up. I I think it's quite fascinating. The nickname that he was given by Jesus in Aramaic, which was the common language that people were speaking, was was, uh, Kepha. Kepha. In English, you'll see it spelled C-E-P-H-A, so some people want to say Sefa or Sefa, but it's pronounced Kepha, and it means rock. And that's how we get to Peter, because the Greek for rock is Petros, and Petros leads us to Peter, but he would have been called Kepha, rock. Should I tell you that we, the prop, maybe the best derivative into English would be rocky? And he goes, oh, I don't like that, too familiar. But Jesus gave him a very unusual nickname, especially because he seems to shift. He's, he seems to be strong in one moment and then shows very weakness and misguidedness in the next. We don't normally call these people rocky, uh, but Jesus did because he saw something in Peter that maybe even Peter would have a hard time seeing in, in himself. And that's how God sees us. You know, when I say God sees us for what we really are, a lot of us go right back into this shame mode again. Now, yes, it's true. He sees our deepest, darkest selves, but he also sees potential in us that many of us are very hesitant to accept. And this could have been one of the things that was going on in, in, between Jesus and Peter. No, I'm, I've just convinced myself. This is something that Jesus saw in Peter. He was calling out the rockness, not the rockiness, the rockness in Peter. What is he calling out in us this morning. He was a commercial fisherman along with his brother Andrew in the north of Israel in the Galilee region. Um, He was married. We don't know his wife's name or if they had any children. As I mentioned, his makeup, his personality, it was he was an all-in type of guy. You always knew what he thought. He was reactive I love this story. I've mentioned before. I'll, I'll keep on mentioning it. It was Jesus is walking on the water. Peter sees this, and his reaction is, tell me to come on the water. Me, 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 me. And again, maybe there's some people here that relate to that. And others of you, you get so embarrassed when there's people like that in the boat with you. Well, that, And what does Jesus do? He says, come on, the water's fine, sort of reaction, response from Jesus. And Peter is the only of the apostles to walk on the water. Now, some of you immediately go, yeah, yeah, but he was the only one who sank. But you've got to be willing to sink if you're going to walk. That's how it works. And we see that through Peter. He was given a special role among the apostles. I think the Catholic tradition overstates his role. I don't think there's any uh, biblical basis for an established head of the church apart from Jesus. 
In fact, this whole idea that the church was centralized with Peter as the, as the leader, I personally think that, and I know it's going right on the recording here, I think that's nonsense. I think uh, between what we see in the Gospels and the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament is that the church was actually quite decentralized. The idea that our unity is supposed to be expressed through some centralized institution, I think has been very damaging to the church throughout the centuries. If you disagree with me, I'd be happy to discuss that with you, but come equipped with your Bible. Um, he was well-trained, as the other disciples were by Jesus, but I think we can make a case that he wasn't really academically astute. So there's that scene, where there's this, the religious leaders in the book of Acts are looking at the disciples and they're wondering where they got their learning um, and that's because they spent three years with the greatest teacher to have ever walked the earth, and he had quite an effect on them. But that doesn't mean that he had the intellectual prowess of somebody like Paul. Uh, Peter would say concerning Paul's writings that they're hard to understand. And I think he said that because they are hard to understand, just like us. And so even though, you know, even though he was the one who denied the Lord, and we looked at that when we were studying the Gospel of Mark last year, there's a big difference between Judas's betrayal resulted in him killing himself and Peter's denial, and later on he was restored. So it's interesting, even though he was the one that the Lord knew would deny him, he was chosen by Jesus to encourage the others. Luke 22, verses 31 to 34. Simon, Simon, Shimon, Shimon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times that you know me. Now, if you were sitting on the, uh, on the disciples' board and you knew that there was going to be a betrayer and a denier, would you choose the denier to be the encourager? Now, I thought about it a little bit more. Because Peter went down to those depths, if he was able to get back on board with the Lord, which he did, maybe he is the best one to be the encourager. Because one of the things about Peter is he just had this honesty about him. You knew where he stood. When he, hot or cold, you knew this about him. Anyway, the Lord knew what he was doing. He chose the denier to be the encourager. He chose the denier to be the encourager. He chose the one who blew it to, to lead he became the first spokesman of the gospel on the day of Pentecost. The denier preached the big sermon. Is there hope for us or not? It's time to condemn shame. It's time, instead of hugging shame and holding it close to us and thinking that somehow it protects our humility... We need to get rid of our shame. We need to get out of our boats and risk sinking on the water, just like Peter. 
And so what I want to do for the next few moments is look at the passage that was read, a familiar one to many of us. I'm not going to go into the details, except we know that here was the moment when Jesus said to his disciples, what what are the rumors about me? And they brought up the various rumors. But who do you say that I am? And then who speaks up? It's Peter. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, you have been inspired by God. You didn't make this up. How would you like the Lord of the universe to say to you what you just said was inspired by God? I'd love that. After I preach a sermon and I and I go, you know, you know, thank you, Pastor, nice sermon. That was inspired by God. I've actually, I'm not saying I'm like people have said, you know, I've had that, something like that. God really spoke through you today. That's every every preacher, teacher, of the word wants to have that affirmation that actually God used them today, and you know, and and. That helps me, you know, that lifts up my spirit and encourages me. And it should, especially when it's coming from the Son of God himself. Bingo! That's absolutely right. Whoa! Ha <laughs> ha! Inspired by God. Hey guys, I was inspired by God. And so then Jesus continues his teaching and starts sharing about how he's going to you know, be betrayed and he's going to have to give in over and, and, and suffer and die. And then Peter speaks up again. But not only was Jesus his master, Jesus was his friend. And Jesus is going on. He's supposed to be the Messiah. He just said so. I was inspired by God. You're the Messiah. And now he's talking about, about a demise and a death. Like this is not the messianic program as far as Peter understood. And he, and he rebukes him. He basically tells him off. I'm sure in a loving way because he cared about Jesus. Don't talk that way. Don't, don't do, no, 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 no. That's not good. And then Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. So he goes from inspired by God to speaking the words of the devil. Now, we don't know how much time, went, but for, you know, it's, we're reading the story. And it sounds like it, it happened within seconds of each other, which I think is the, is, we're supposed to get the point here. So here's the man that was speaking the very words of God affirmed by the Messiah himself, and next thing you know, he's speaking the words of the devil. Now he's being rebuked for it. Now, I know we weren't there, and I know probably none of us are going to be in that exact same situation, but could you use your imagination for a moment? You you took a chance, and I know Peter's a different kind of personality than many of us who took, but you take a chance, you speak up, and you're affirmed. And the next, and then you speak up a few moments later, and you're rebuked by the teacher in front of everybody else in the class. What's next for you? Many of us, I know what we do. I'm never going to do that again. In fact, I may as well pack up my bags and leave. It's time to bail. I could not allow myself to make such a mistake ever again. And yet, that's not what Peter ends up doing. Remember, he's al- it's already been predicted that he's going to deny the Lord. It's going to be worse in public, 
in his hour of need. He's going to blow it again. But Peter never bails. Peter never gives up. In fact, the Lord decided he was going to keep on using him mightily among the, the group. There's that parable that should terrify us in Matthew 25 about the talents where different people are apportioned different treasure to steward and in the parable in Matthew 25 the one who gets seriously told off in fact he's thrown into the utter darkness that's not a Peter situation the one who hid his talent away but it's because he was scared He was so scared of losing what he had, he thought he was doing the best thing by burying it to keep it safe. And some of us have spent our entire lives committed to keeping safe. And Jesus is calling us to live dangerously, to risk In some ways, I'm like Peter because I'm often that guy who says the thing that thinks that needs to be said. And sometimes I've been affirmed. Other times I've been severely rejected. And when I've experienced the negative and then to realize, uh, sometimes I've said, sometimes I've been rebuffed for saying what I still believe was the right thing to say or the right thing to do. Other times I've been rebuffed and realized after, oh, I did the wrong thing. I said the wrong thing. And when I'm confronted that way and I realize how much I've blown it, I go into Elijah mode. Take my life, Lord. I don't want to live anymore. Now, maybe Peter felt the same way. We just don't have his, his thoughts. I don't, we don't know that. We have Elijah's thoughts. I just shared mine with you. So I don't know. I think I'm a bit of a mix of Peter and Elijah. Maybe some of you are like that. But it seems to me that most people never get there because most people play it safe. You know, we saw when we looked at David that even though he committed a horrific set of sins, horrible, awful, adultery and murder, because he was willing to confess his sin, and when he was confronted, he didn't play games, he admitted his wrong to the Lord, the Lord restored him. Those who continually cover up and continually hide, who basically are given over to systemic, habitual sin, are in trouble and need to get help as soon as possible. But there is hope. We are allowed. Here is a universal truth that maybe you've never heard in your life. It's okay to make mistakes. I had a Greek professor he actually wasn't a very good teacher, but he, he, he handled this unusual Greek class in Bible colleges very well. And he used to say, it's good to make mistakes because that's how you learn. 
And it's true. It's okay to make mistakes. Now, if we had a pilot in a, an airline pilot in our congregation today, he might be, he, she might be thinking there are certain mistakes that are not okay to make. And yet there are some really, really big ones. But I have thought, I have thought hard over what about the big mistakes? One of the ones that I've never forgotten is one of my favorite singer-songwriters is Stephen Curtis Chapman. Wonderful, wonderful. Seems to be a one, never met him, but seems to be a wonderful, wonderful person. Somebody who's really legitimate in his love for the Lord. And one of his sons accidentally ran over one of their adopted girls, daughters, about five years old. Imagine it can get worse, but it can't, it can't get worse than that. Could you imagine? How do you recover from that kind of mistake? How? Except for the Lord. The Lord is able to do it, and, that, and that's extreme. And thank God, most of us have never and will likely never make a mistake at that level. The bus driver that, that killed the people on the transitway in the Lord, there's help for the most horrific kinds of mistakes. And even some of those mistakes, I don't know this, the whole situation of that. I don't know the whole situation about, about Stephen Chris Chapman's son. I knew of some, a couple years ago in a church that we went to, they were just out on the mission field and he backed up his car and killed a child. Was he careful enough? No, he wasn't careful enough. But he probably did what all of us did. He looked, looked, and went. There are not mistakes. We do them on purpose like David did. And there is hope for David. If there's hope for David, if there's hope for Elijah, if there's hope for Peter, there's hope for all of us. But most of these horrific mistakes, are, are they're, they're the big ones. Some of us, are too scared to speak up. We're too scared to write that letter. We're too scared to make that phone call that we've needed to make for the last 15 years. Because what will what will they say? How will they react? I may not say the right thing. Oh, oh but when I go to talk, my my voice quivers. I start to, 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 to stutter. So what? We sang, here I am to worship. That means God my life doesn't belong to me, it belongs to you, and I'm going to do what you want me to do. So if it's your will for me to get out of the boat and risk my life by walking on this water, I'm going to do it, even if it means I sink. Peter's fails were not permanent failures. Failures, in, when we fail, they're never permanent because we know the Lord. Like Peter, we need to keep on keeping on. Again, none of this is an excuse for doing wrong. But even then, while we still have breath, there is hope. But remember, God always has the final words in our li- word in our lives. Let us trust Him. Let us renew our commitment to Him. Let us accept that we are just human beings, and we are all frail, and we all make mistakes. But we need to hear his voice in this crazy, confused, 
more and more immoral world that we're in, we need to hear God's voice. We need to act on what he's saying. We need to go when he says go and speak when he says speak. Come what may. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you are God. You are God and we are not. And nothing else is God. Forgive us for listening to other voices. Some of us are still listening to our parents who stifled us decades and decades ago, told us to be quiet, told us to behave. We honor them and thank you that they and, and, and various leaders and teachers in our lives that you have provided, we honor their memory. We thank you for, for bringing us into this world through our parents, but they too were frail. They were not God. Forgive us, Lord, for how we've treated them and their word, and their word as if that's you. God, break the controls on our lives that have not come from you and set us free to be the people that you've called us to be in every way. Thank you that you didn't only take our guilt on the cross, you took our shame on the cross. But forgive us, Lord, for holding on to that shame and thinking that we should only be seen and not heard. Lord, for those of us that have said the wrong thing and have done the wrong thing, and many times from a good motive, we're only trying to help. Help us, Lord, to keep on keeping on because you are with us and you are good. You are forgiving. We look to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For additional messages and more information, please visit us on the web at allsaintslutheran.ca.